Hi everyone, my name is Christine and today we'll be talking about episode 5 on the federal elections. Uh, it's the most, um, in terms of the daunting times in our history, in terms of the Canadian elections and figuring out our next Prime Minister. And so in introducing that, we have policy first. Can you tell us what you do and what your purpose as a social media platform? Uh, hi everyone, thank you for having me on the podcast. So my name is Hamza and I founded Policy First. Um, the idea for it kind of came about in the summer and this was just when I was kind of getting more interested in politics. I saw this was an election year, so I started reading a bit more about it. And when I started digging in more and more, what I found was that it was quite difficult to actually understand what the different parties uh, and their positions were on different topics. And more so, I just didn't really see that in our election, in this election year, but just across the world, when you look at the recent elections that are happening, there's very little talk about policy. You know, especially in the last provincial election that I saw, there was very little talk about policy. What were these candidates going to actually do for our country, our province, etc.? And so, what I wanted to do was educate myself first and foremost, but also I really wanted to create a platform that it was easy for people to go on, understand what was happening, and hopefully create a community around this idea that we really want to understand what these parties have in terms of policy, and so that we can hopefully hold them accountable for when they are in government and when they are implementing these policies that they said they were gonna do or aren't implementing these policies that they said they would. Elections are always an important time for society in places like Puerto Rico. It's a national holiday, which makes for a higher voter turnout. How do you think our current policy approach towards voting day is affecting or benefiting people's ability to vote? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of room for improvement, not just the way in which we approach voting day, but just you know voting and participation in our democracy in general. So just starting off with voting day, you mentioned Puerto Rico. But there are other countries that have other you know, similar policies. So Australia, for example, there it's mandatory to vote. And if you don't vote, then you have to pay a small fine. I think it's $20 or something like that. And their voter turnout is upwards of 90%. In the last Canadian election, we were just around 68 69% in terms of our voter turnout. So there you can see right away, there's definitely ways in which you can increase our voter turnout with very little cost. Just 20 bucks, and people are more than willing to, to come out. The second thing that a lot of people have talked about I just don't understand why this is the case, is that our elections, our federal elections, are always held on the third Monday of the October. Um, and it really just does not make any sense besides the fact that your elections are on a Monday. You know, around the world, elections are usually held on the weekend, on Saturday or Sunday. Or, like, you know, you mentioned Puerto Rico, they have the day off. And so people are much more likely to come out to vote and there are just so many ways, small ways that could be changed that, you know, with the, the system we have in place, it just hasn't moved. And then you have other ways in which you can kind of promote voting and participation through the four years in between each election cycle, right? So having ways in which people can be more involved in the democratic process, again, understand what's going on in terms of policy. You know, they don't make the system in a way for, for people to really understand and get involved with it. It's really just we want your support, you know, every four years during this election day. After that, there's really not as much outreach that you see. Um, to be fair, I, I haven't had a, a contrast in previous elections, but 
I have seen that Election Scam that has very good resources online. They seem to be promoting on, on social media and things like that. So hopefully we are going in the right direction in terms of voter awareness. However, you know, all the things I've mentioned already, I think there's a lot of room for improvement and very simple fixes that you can make to help people get out to vote and really feel like a part of our democracy. Historically, Indigenous people have been barred from partic partaking in the elections process, even those who have been veterans of the World War I and World War II. Many also consider voting as a colonial process and may be less likely to vote. How do you think we can change policy regarding voting to increase Indigenous participation? Um, yeah, I really like this question. And, and now when I was doing a little bit of research, I saw that in our last election, we had a, a really good turnout in terms of the Indigenous vote, but it was still, it was around 60, 61% as compared to the overall voter turnout, which was around 68, 69%. So you can see that there is a, a mismatch there. And when I started to do some research into just some of the upfront barriers that people were seeing, historically there's been you know, language barriers, communication issues when you're coming to the polling station as an indigenous um, person. And then there's also just issues of you know, geographic dispersal. You know, you may be just be, it may just be very inconvenient for you or very difficult for you to get out to vote. I think the second part of that question, when you're kind of talking about voting as a colonial process, I think that's a very important consideration to have. You know, there's been a history of policy towards Indigenous community that focus on assimilation rather than allowing them to, you know, be who they truly are. And, you know, they just see, and it's very easy, given the circumstances and the experiences that they've had, for them to view the voting process as another, you know, area in which that assimilation process is taking place once again. And just step into their shoes. They have, even if, for example, they did go to vote, then the government that was elected into power, maybe they even voted for them. It's been well documented that most of their concerns have not been addressed properly. And so it becomes really easy for these people to not even look towards this process anymore because they don't see it as something that's constructive because truly it has not been. Right, and so there are many ways in which you can apply the same things I mentioned in the earlier question. Between those four years in election day, how are you involving these communities and making sure that they feel a part of the democracy? How do you feel, how do you make sure that these communities feel like it is important to vote? And that's really where I think the keys are. Making sure that you have representation in these local areas that whenever I kind of read or see people talk on this issue, they talk about how, you know, the seat at the table that people mention that Indigenous communities have really isn't there. And, you know, even if, if, if people outside of Indigenous communities in the main areas in Toronto and Vancouver, Calgary, if they don't have a seat at proper seat at the table, then I really think it'd be difficult for people in these communities to have that seat at the table as well. And so when, when I looked into some of the things that Elections Canada is doing this year to help increase voter turnout in these communities, I think that for fa on face value, a lot of them seem great. A lot of them were talking, a lot of the things that they were doing were going to these communities, getting community liaisons, making sure that they are specifically targeting the areas that there were very low turnouts. So they started a pilot project, pilot projects in those areas to, to help boost those voter turnout. Again, these are all the things I'm reading. I'm sure that it would be a better answer if you were to speak to someone in these communities that had 
firsthand experience. However, you know, from what I've seen on the Elections Canada website, hopefully we are moving in the right direction. However, I still think that there is, again, a lot more room for improvement in understanding what you know, these communities are in terms of what their needs are. And hopefully they see the importance of the voting process once it actually becomes important for them and their issues are being met. Our current election system has been drawn from the UK parliamentary system, meaning parties must get a specific amount of representatives elected to obtain 100% of the power for a majority government. In 2015, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promised to have electoral reform as part of his campaign platform to change from representative first past the post to proportional representation. What are the benefits and drawbacks of changing the way our democracy works? Awesome, yeah, I think that the first part of answering that question is understanding why first past the post is, you know, a bad system. And, you know, the main concern that everyone kind of brings forward is the disproportion that it brings within the House of Commons. So, you know, for example, looking back at the past election, the Liberal Party, they were able to garner a majority. They had 54% of the seats with only 39% of the vote. Whereas the Green Party, they were able to get one seat, which is, you know, less than 1% of the representation in the House of Commons and 3.5% of the vote. So here you clearly see that, you know, this system really benefits the larger parties and it hurts the smaller parties that are really trying to get their, their voice heard. And it also really supports parties with geographic concentration in their support. So for example, Bloc Quebecois, it, the system may even help them. Um, now looking at alternatives, I think that there are a few really good ideas. Um, the first one I'd, I'd like to talk about is the ranked ballot. Um, and basically what a ranked ballot is, instead of voting for one candidate, you would get to rank the candidates from first to last. And to see how this would play out and how it would benefit, I, I think it's good to go through examples. So say you're looking at um, three candidates and two of those like soccer and we'll build a soccer field and one likes hockey and we'll build a hockey rink. Um, we'll call them soccer one and soccer two and then hockey. So the soccer one candidate gets 35% of the vote and soccer two candidate gets 25% of the vote. There's only one hockey candidate so the vote doesn't get split between this person and another hockey candidate, so this candidate gets 40% of the vote. Under the current system, this hockey system, hockey candidate would win, but there's clearly 60% vote or support for soccer. So it, in reality, it really should win, right? So under the ranked ballot, basically what would happen is you put your, or, your choice in, in, in order. So if I wanted soccer, I would probably put the soccer one and then the soccer two candidate and then the hockey. After the first round, the candidate with the lowest amount of votes is eliminated. So in this situation, one of the soccer candidates would get eliminated, and then you would take all the votes for that candidate that got eliminated and take their second choice and then count it up again. Under this system, what would happen is that the soccer candidate would likely get you know 60% of the vote, and the representation would be that soccer is clearly the more you know, preferred sport or whatever you want to call it for that region. I think that's a really good simplified example of how a ranked ballot could benefit to the current system. The issue with that is that the 40% that like hockey, their voices are not getting heard anymore. Now 100% of the representation is just for the soccer field. And so the answer to that uh, issue, uh, there's two different systems that have been proposed. It's the, there's mixed member proportional and single transferable vote. Now, I won't get into too many specifics because it is quite hard to explain over a podcast, but I highly recommend you guys um, 
take a look online and research more into them. A quick summary of them is basically in, in mixed member proportional. There are two pools of candidates. There are those that are running locally, and then there are those that are running under a party list. On election day, there will be two votes you cast, one for your local representative and one for the party you support. The local candidates will be assigned based on you know, either first past the post or hopefully a ranked ballot system. And then the seats will be allocated from the second balance, ballot to balance out the proportions. So for example, if a party wins 10% of the vote, they get 10% of the seats. Under a single transferable vote system, um, this would look at pooling together different ridings. And so for example, there's not just one MP per region, but there would be four or five. Um, the number really doesn't matter. It would probably depend on the region and population. Then basically what you would need to do to win or earn one of those positions as MP, you would have to obtain a certain threshold of the vote, and then you will be elected to this council of MPs for that region. And this will really allow for lesser known parties or candidates to get a seat at the table as a threshold to get onto that council is a little bit lower. And you know, if you do more research into it, you'll see all of the great benefits it has in terms of creating more proportional uh, representation within our democracy. And then lastly, just drawbacks. The only drawback I would personally see with any of these systems is that it will be very tough to implement, and it may take some time to educate the public on it. However, you know, we have four years in between elections. I think that's more than enough time, and it's something that a lot of people are pushing for, so hopefully we can see some change in this area. Canadians generally have four main parties for whom they vote for, including Liberal Party, NDP, Conservative Party, and Green Party. However, at the federal level, only the Liberal and Conservative parties have held power for the past 20 years. What do you think keeps Canadians from branching out into other parties? Um, yeah, I think it's a good topic to discuss, especially after the last question. So I think one of the first reasons is um, just the fact that with the current voting system, it does really have you know, support the Liberal and Conservative parties since they are the major parties. And so, you know, for example, if you are a supporter of you know, right-wing ideologies or left-wing ideologies, then you really have two realistic options, as can be seen through history. Um, and so I think that you know, just the idea that you have to vote strategically first and foremost is quite frustrating for many people. And so it you know, kind of leads to, okay, we may as well just support these parties. You know, my party, if, if you support NDP, for example, they may not win um, based on what you've seen in the past. So I think that you know, it is fair to think like this. However, I would really encourage people to try and look beyond this, you know, taking it for face value. And, and again, so you know, things, ways in which you can do that are start doing research into some of the systems I discussed in the past question. Um, it's proportional representation, and maybe try and you know be vocal and, and advocate for implementation of these systems. And then you know another thing I recommend is if you are supportive of NDP, Green, whatever, any other party, then go out there. You know, go to the campaign office, go to your candidate, go to their website. How can you get involved? If you truly support these parties and their and the things that they uh, stand for, then they aren't going to get to a place in which they have a seat at the table without the support of you know, people like you. And so I think it's, it's really important for you to, to stick with what you believe in. Um, you know, first inform yourself and, and go and you know, maybe you go to 
you know, the Liberal Party and you find out this isn't for me, you know, I don't th- I don't agree with X, Y, and Z in their policy, and you find out that the NDP has that for you or the Conservatives have that for you, etc. So I think that it is really important for people to try and push that change. Um, unfortunately, I don't see that change coming from, from Ottawa anytime soon, but I think it is really gonna you know there will be some there have been movements and i think that those movements will only continue to gain support as we continue progressing and once we change the system that we currently have hopefully we can have you know more difference in ideas more difference in representation uh in ottawa and you know not only on the federal level but at the provincial level and and that hopefully will trickle down to the rest of canada as well how do you think scandals and media plays into drifting the conversation away from policy? Um, yeah, I think it's a, a great question. I think I mentioned it you know, early on in my introduction that that is part of the reason why I wanted to make this platform and policy first. Um, so I think that it is a, a, a difficult balance to strike. You, you know, like I said, the focus really should be on policy, right? What is this? person and party going to do for you know our country i think that is the most important thing that you really have to make sure you focus on to make sure that we can hold our representation accountable for what they do for our country however i also understand that it is important for people to be able to support someone that they personally um, are able to connect with and so when you know things like the recent scandals that have come out with you know, Shear's dual citizenship and, and Justin Trudeau's blackface, I think that it is fair for people to take on those you know, stories and take those into consideration when they are making their vote. However, I think that, you know, especially you see in, you know, recently in the debate we saw yesterday, there really starts to become this focus on the person rather than their policy. And that becomes extremely dangerous for a few reasons. One, you know, it makes sure that everyone who has ever made a mistake, and especially at the age of social media, you know, this person is not able to really participate in, in tem- democracy or, you know, go for election because they have this baggage on their on their shoulders. And, you know, maybe this person is wonderful, it's great, he, he or she is great, but they have, you know, done something in their past which hinders them from doing that. I think the more important thing is just it's really easy to get focused on these things that are very easy to understand, right? Understanding someone's, a party's position on healthcare, for example, may be difficult and will require a lot of research. Seeing the scandal in the news is quite easy. And, you know, Xing that candidate off your list is very easy just by seeing this this story on your social media or on TV. So I really think that, like I said, it is very important to have that focus and really do yourself the justice of understanding what these parties are going to be doing with our country, making our vote bases based off of that, and then, you know, of course, taking into consideration those other things. Um, and, you know, media is really just getting into a dangerous area with those things. So please, please, please try and stay focused on these things and, and you know, hopefully join our community at Policy First where that's what we value. Youth are the largest voting bloc in this election. For many of us, it will be our first time voting federally. What do you recommend we do to make sure our vote is informed and our issues is addressed? Uh, well, I mean, of course, you can go to policyfirst.ca and check out all of the great content we have and, you know, helping people get informed. But, you know, there are a lot of great platforms out there, 
you know, even the news outlets have great resources. Um, lots of great people are in the space and trying to make sure that people get the, the news that they need to help you know, everyone make an informed vote. I think that it is very overwhelming. You know, I myself found this when I was trying to boil down these topics into things that are very easy to digest. And so what I recommend is finding any sort of resource and maybe building out a list of things that are important to you, certain issues, you know, for example, if you're one of the, you know, as mentioned the question, if you're part of the largest voting bloc in this election, which is the youth group, then maybe student debt is important to you, maybe healthcare is important to you, maybe climate action is, taxes, whatever the issues may be, understand what is important to you, go onto these parties' platforms, understand the nuances of what they are proposing, understand if maybe they aren't proposing anything at all. So you really want to make sure you understand what these issues are. And then one more step that I would take is that, you know, in a recent blog post that we did, we talked about how to vote, but also how to get involved. And so I think one of the best ways in which you can make sure your vote is informed um, is that you maybe go out and support your party through various ways, you know, volunteering at your candidate's office, um, canvassing for them, maybe even just, you know, giving a donation, things of that nature. It'll really help you get involved with the election process and you can kind of follow it a lot better. And then I also, the last thing I will mention that kind of goes hand in hand with getting involved is get to know your local representative that is running for, you know, for running for your riding. I think it is important to be able to understand what this person is proposing and so, you know, and, and have a, a relationship or understanding how to connect with this person because the best way that at the local level we can hold our politicians accountable is reaching out to your local MP. And I have seen it in the past, this is a great way to, to get involved. They will listen to you because you are voting for this person, you know, three, four years down the line. And so they will wanna make sure that your concerns are heard. So coming in, understanding what is going on, especially earlier in your life, is extremely important because this leads to you know not just this election being informed but you know the four five six lots of elections that are to come you will be an active member in, of this democracy and I, I am very optimistic in terms of our outlook I think a lot of young people are getting very engaged and as we continue to grow and, and show the people and the generations um, below us what it means to stay engaged I'm very hopeful that you know we can make our democracy much more participatory and you know, take the future and, and understand what's happening for ourselves. If so, what are some ways for us to connect with you? Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned, you know, please do check out our website, policyfirst.ca. And we are on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And we actively post you know, our different blog posts there. So we really think that the stuff we put out is great to stay informed. It's interesting and hopefully it's easily easily digestible. Um, so you can find the links to those socials on our website. And if you just search up Policy First on any of those four platforms, you know, we'd love to engage with you on there and continue to grow our community. And you know, if you have any suggestions, comments, we'd love uh, you know any feedback or, or messages from, from any single one of you. Um, so yeah, so thank you to the podcast for having me on and I hope you guys join me over at policyfirst.ca.